Welcome to the Respectful Divorce Podcast. If you're considering a divorce, it's important to know that you have options for how you divorce. On the Respectful Divorce Podcast, we explore those options and provide advice from divorce professionals. We also talk with divorce clients about what went right and what went wrong in their divorce. On today's edition of the Respectful Divorce Podcast, Camille Milner talks with Sarah Armstrong, author of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, what to think through when children are involved. I'd like to introduce our listeners to Sarah Madden Armstrong, who is our guest today on the Respectful Divorce Podcast. She has recently written a book called The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, What to Think Through When Children Are Involved. And when I say recently, that may not be 100% accurate. Um, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about about when you wrote this book and and a little bit about your thoughts on it. Absolutely, Camille. Great to be with you. Um, so I actually got a divorce almost 14 years ago when my daughter Grace was seven. And over the course of, over the course of years following my divorce, I had a number of friends that would come to me after we had gone through our divorce and ask me if I would help them think through the, their divorce. And I should start by saying, Camille, that I'm not an advocate for divorce. I think couples should stay married for the long term if they can. And in fact, your parents have been married a long time. My parents are celebrating their 55th wedding anniversary this summer. That's amazing. It's amazing. And, and they, are, they are a true example of partnership in a marriage and such a special couple. So that's what I grew up you know, looking at and, and wanting to model. But sometimes things don't work out as planned. And so once I'd gone through my divorce, um, I, I joked that I, I somehow became a poster child for a good divorce. And friends would come to me and ask me for guidance. And over the years, um, I would help them. And at the end of helping them, they'd say, you should really write this stuff down. And I thought to myself, well, first of all, I'm, I'm in the corporate world. I'm in global marketing. I'm not a writer. I'm not going to ever write a book. And uh, so I was actually at a business dinner in Latin America in Mexico City. Um, and one of my colleagues turned to me and he said, Sarah, you're so happy. And I said, yes, I'm very happy. He said, but you're divorced. And I said, so many. I said, getting a divorce is not a death sentence. I'm happy. Grace is happy. My ex-husband's happy. We're all happy. And uh, I mentioned to him, I said, you know, it's interesting. My friends have been encouraging me to, to write down my guidance about how we went through. So he said, you really should. So the next morning, I flew out of Mexico City on Delta. And I opened my laptop and I wrote a line that said, this book is written by a girl who never, ever thought she would get a divorce, who got a divorce and what she learned along the way. And I wrote over actually a couple of years and primarily coming out 95% of it was probably written on Delta because I traveled internationally for my job. And instead of, you know, uh, watching a movie or, or reading another book, I'd open my personal laptop and start writing. So the way it unfolded is that I, at one point, didn't, I got so busy at work, I didn't think I'd write it. I ended up um, looking at it one day on my laptop and said, are you just going to be a file on my laptop? I'm going to do something with you. And so I decided to push through and to get it out into the world. And so the reason I share that is um, I wrote that. So it was published in 2016, but then I did an update in 2020, right before the pandemic, ironically. And um, I felt like it was it was 10 years past my divorce and I had more thoughts and, and reflections from myself and, and some of my girlfriends who'd been contributors to the book. So it's basically now updated. It has 185 topics um, that are bite-sized pieces of advice. It's a very practical guide, I like to say, um, to really help 
moms that have children think through all the decisions and discussions that you need to have related to your children. And so it's um, so it's now out in the world and, and meant to help as many, many moms and families as possible. I think it's going to help millions of people. And I'm going to dig down a little deeper on your bite size approach on the topics in just a few minutes. But let's talk first about your background, just so that our listeners can get to know you more. You grew up in a family that's now had parents that were married 55 years. And where did you grow up? And tell us about your college education and how you came to be what you're doing now. So I, so I grew up in Michigan, Birmingham, Michigan, um, with my parents, and I have two younger brothers, and really loved growing up in Michigan. I then headed off to Georgetown, actually, um, for my undergrad, and I played volleyball there on scholarship, and I joke that that's back in the day when I could run and jump. <laughs> don't, don't do either of those anymore. And, um, and then from there, I actually headed to Chicago and worked at Leo Burnett, which is an advertising agency. And then moved down to Atlanta in 1997 and joined the Coca-Cola company and spent 20 years there in global marketing, uh, leading their agency operations. And then I left um, to head to McKinsey, which is a consulting firm. And from McKinsey, I actually joined Google as um, I now lead our global marketing operations for Google. I joined three years ago. So I have had a really uh, special career path that I'm very proud of. Um, but along those uh, along that journey, obviously, I had grace. Mm -hmm. And um, she's very special. She's turning 21 this fall, which is crazy. I can't believe I'm old enough to have a 21 year old. And um, so I, you know, juggled. I was, you know, doing the juggling act of being a working mom and a single working mom. Mm -hmm. um, I love to travel the world and give back when I can. I'm, I'm uh, on the board of a very special not for profit called Jack and Jill Late Stage Cancer Foundation that really helps families that are going through uh, terminal cancer to send them on a last trip as a family. So it's a passion of mine. And um, so that's, you know, I have a, a number of things going on, but when I wrote this book, it almost became another child, as you can imagine, because you have to nurture and share it. And I, you know, I did it to really give back to women. Um, and so Grace, Grace actually read the book before I published it. It's important to say, because um, I wanted, because I do refer to her throughout the book and I wanted her to, to look at it and say, is there anything you wouldn't want shared. And she's like, mom, this is going to really help a lot of families. Um, well, that was going to be one of the things I was going to ask you about is how grace is certainly a presence in your book. Yeah. I love your story about her seeing a magazine in the grocery store and whether the celebrity couple had had a good divorce. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a, it was a poignant moment, Camille. So we were standing in the CVS about a year after our divorce. So she's eight years old. And there was a People magazine on the newsstand with a celebrity couple getting divorced. And she looks at me and she goes, mommy, is that a good divorce or a bad divorce? And I said, Grace, I don't know. What's the difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce? She goes, well, good divorce is when a mommy and daddy are nice to each other like you and daddy. And a bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other. And I said, and I just had to stop. And I, okay. And then um, I said, well, Grace, it's hard to tell. Um, you know, from a magazine cover, what type of divorce they're having. But as I walked out of that CBS that day, Camille, I thought, you know, whatever my ex-husband and I were doing in terms of going through this divorce, the fact that a year after this big change in our lives and specifically to Grace's life, that she could deem our divorce a good divorce. I knew we were on the right path and I knew we were doing something right. And I use right in air quotes because I realized, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all relative, but we, I felt like we were heading in the right direction. Well, you know, out of the mouths of babes, what a profound statement she made. Absolutely. It really informs all of us. And 
And I think most of the science does say that staying in an intact home that has high conflict can be damaging. Um, a divorce can be damaging, but divorce, while none of us want it, is not necessarily the inherent evil that causes kids to go down the wrong path. It is all about how the parents handle it. And it sounds like you have just done, an, you and your husband, ex-husband have done an incredible job on navigating through that. And now the wisdom you've received from that, um, you're able to share with so many others and help them replicate the great work you all have done. Yeah, well, thank you. And you know, I, I like to say, and it's, it's important to reflect on, no one gets married to get divorced. Mm -hmm. And generally, though, no one gets divorced for positive reasons. There's been some type of trigger, you know, that's yes. that's caused that decision. But children do not get to make the decision of whether their parents are going to go through this divorce, but their lives are the most significantly impacted by that decision. And I don't and think forever. And forever. And mm -hmm. forever. I don't think there's enough conversation in society around the topic of how to have a good divorce, you know, mm -hmm. when children are involved. And, you know, I it's interesting because when you become a parent and you bring your children into the world, you know, you make a commitment to them to raise them in the healthiest, happiest, safest environment possible. You know, I joke that, you know, you cover the plugs and you put bike helmets on them and you feed them organic milk. You know, you do all of these things. And then when it comes to going through a divorce, you actually can place them in the most toxic environment possible and leave them there for months, even even years. And that can have such a long-term impact on children's perspective on relationships and their approach to relationships, their view on marriage, and their overall happiness in life. And so I really think it's a responsibility we have as parents to co-parent and take co-parenting seriously and with the intent of having a good divorce. And so that's really one of the reasons I am so passionate about, you know, being a proponent for a good divorce, because I think it is possible. Now, I, I should say, Camille, it does require patience. It takes a lot of effort. It is not an easy thing to do, you know, it, it, but it is doable. And it's so worth it for the sake of your children. Well, I'll share just a little bit of my story with you. I didn't start out, never intended to do family law. Um, but my grandparents, whom I stayed with most days because my parents worked, got a divorce when I was six and they did it like you did it. They were just blue collar workers from East Texas, but they had the wisdom of the ages because they knew that it needed to be done in a way that would least affect me and my brother. But mainly me, because I was old enough to really know the difference. And so when a few years into my career, there started being, ironically, a call for women family lawyers more than men because men wanted a woman that would look like to a judge and jury. It wasn't two men picking on a little woman. And women wanted a woman because they felt like they had more of an understanding, the empathetic side. And so what I found when I would go to court, and I've done it for nearly 40 years, is that's no way to restructure a family. And so I turned back then to what I had seen with my grandparents. And it was just, I knew there was a right way to do it. And they had done that and they had taught me that, which leads me to a quote that I say to a lot of my clients, which is statistically half of our children will go through this. So this is as parents, our greatest teaching moment, our potentially greatest teaching moment. 
And I think you've done a beautiful job of that with grace. Thank you, Camille. And that is absolutely a true statement in terms of the teaching moment that it is. It really is. So one of the questions I had, and I don't know exactly how to to expand it, is I love the title of your book, but it sounds like it was written for moms. But I know it's not just written for moms. It's written for anyone that goes through this and anybody that knows somebody that goes through this. No, fair question. So it's interesting. When I wrote the book, I was really reflecting back on all of those conversations I'd had with my girlfriends in my living room, generally with, you know, a glass of wine in hand late at night by the Mm -hmm. fire. And so it was really written with that um, spirit and intent and also just kind of the tone Mm -hmm. with one girlfriend talking to another girlfriend about what to think through. And so I do appreciate and I've had a number of uh, male friends and colleagues that have read the book and said, Sarah, I've gotten so much out of this. So I appreciate that the title does, you know, point to one audience, but it does have applicability um, across and it really is meant to help families um, to think about all the things you do have to think about when when children are involved in this process. Because it talks a lot about how you and your ex have handled it. Absolutely. And he and I really worked hard. It's interesting, Camille, when you talk about your grandparents, you know, my parents were so happily married, but I watched a number of ugly divorces growing up with my parents' friends. And that was defining for me in Mm -hmm. terms of divorce, you know, the mental model of divorce. So when we were, when we made this decision that we were going to go down this path, I did say to my soon-to-be ex-husband, I want to do this differently. There has to be a better way than what I watched growing up. And so, and I just, I said to him, I'm, you know, I'm going to think about it. We're going to talk about it. And we just, you know, we worked through it together. And I do appreciate that I had a willing ex-spouse to do that with. And not everyone does. That's huge. And, you know, and, and Camille, I do have some, some people say, you know, I, I can't imagine ever saying I have a good divorce. And what I say to people that say I don't have a willing participant on the other side of that discussion, I generally say, you know, think about what you can do, what you control. Because mm-hmm. then at least when you... When you go through this process and over the years, your kids are going to see that you are making every effort to take the high road, which I realize can be a very steep road to take (laughs) and do the best thing for them along the way. And that's all that any parent can do is say, you know what? I did my best. And so even if you can't, you can't speak for the we in that because there's another person involved, but for what you can control, the approach you take, the mindset that you go into conversations with, the actions or reactions you have when your buttons might be being pressed. Those are all things that I think we do have control over, but it takes, again, goes to back to effort. And I do talk about in my book, um, building, developing a compartmentalization muscle. And and I, I joke that I do Pilates and I, you know, I focus on having a strong core muscle, but I think you know, as people, but probably people in life, let alone going to a divorce, having a compartmentalization muscle allows you to stop and pause in those moments when you are having your buttons pushed and say, mm-hmm. it's time for me to react. Is this the time for me to show that emotion? If your children are within your midst at that moment, I just ask people to pause and think about, is this, to your point about teaching moments, is this what I want them to see right now? Or do I just, you know, step back, take a deep breath? You, I'm not saying to bury the emotions for forever. I'm just saying don't show them at that moment. Then go call a girlfriend or family member or go on a long walk or yell in the woods, whatever you need to do. But I think... Or see your therapist. Your therapist, great point. But it's, you know, there's many outlets. But I think the outlet of having your children see your emotions in those moments has creates more damage than I think we understand. 
Yes. And appreciate. And I think we just have to press pause, strengthen that compartmentalization muscle, and then move through the moment. And by the way, sometimes you can't, and you have those moments that you go, ah, I wish I hadn't done that. Then acknowledge it to your kids. You know, say, mom, you know, I shouldn't have probably said that, or that wasn't really appropriate, or, you know, let them know that you realize that wasn't okay. And then try to move through it. I love your compartmentalization metaphors with the attic boxes. Yes. Because sometimes people, and you have talked about this in the book, sometimes people are so overwhelmed with emotion, it's difficult in front of their children to take that high road because they may, one of our counselors here in Denton, Texas, talk about if you're flooded with emotions, it's very hard to be in your thinking brain. And I think that's true. But I love the way you talk about you. You can't just ignore those emotions, but you can revisit them like boxes in the attic. Yes. <laughs> you talk about that just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it actually came from a reflection of a friend of mine who'd gone through a divorce. And, and she said, you know, um, you have that box in the attic that you might want to pull out because it, it does have memories and there are things that you want to reflect on. But you have to consciously go and get the box, open it up, reflect on what's in there. But then you do close the box and you put it back up in the attic. And I think there's something about the emotions that come along with the divorce. And it's a, it's a very similar situation. And, and one of the things I, I share, you know, with people that are going through this is, you know, there are hopefully some happy memories that you want to reflect on with your kids about, you know, the life pre-divorce and, you know, reflect on those, cherish those, celebrate those when you can and if you can. Um, if you can't, the question is how much you want to pull the negative of the past into your current and into the future. Because it, it, I just don't believe that divorce has to be this negative cloud that follows you and your children and even your ex-spouse through their lives. Like, why does it have to always hang there? You know, it's, it is a label in fairness that we carry. And I, I say in my book, um, you know, it can become a bit of a scarlet letter, like you're divorced, you know, that's... But I like the way you said it is an action that does not need to define us. Absolutely. It's an action, you know, and that's so important. And, you know, I even just recently I went to the dentist and they asked for my status and it said single, married, divorced or other. And I thought, you're cleaning my teeth. Why does it matter if they need to tell you they're divorced? Like I just, I had a good point. Why do I have to check divorce? Does it, does it matter? Yeah, that really does make it a scarlet letter. And it, and it it feeds over into all of how we and our children and our friends and our families think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the moments that really stuck with me in our own journey was when Grace was in sixth grade, uh, we went to a parent-teacher conference. And it was five years after a divorce, but we walk in and it's my ex-husband, myself and Grace, because at her school in sixth grade, the kids actually attend the the conference with her parents. So we sit down with her teacher for an hour, talking through everything. And at the end of the hour, her teacher looks at us and she says, wait a minute, are you two divorced? And I stopped to go, oh yeah, we got divorced five years ago. She said, I had no idea. It's like the greatest compliment you could get. <laughs> well, and I said, it didn't occur to me to walk in here and tell you, hi, we're divorced. Can yeah. we now have a conversation about Grace's education? And she looked at me and she said, you know what? It is so rare for a divorced couple to, to come into this office for one hour with their child and have a session about their child's ed- education. It is so, so rare. And it makes me so sad. And I said to her, that makes me so sad too, because what's more important to two parents 
than how their child was doing in school. Oh, yeah. And Grace is hearing this whole conversation. She's sitting right there. And, you know, I, I, I just reflect on that and think, I know we have so much emotion, again, as we talked about earlier, that comes with this. But those moments, our kids deserve to sit down with both their parents there and have that conversation. Why should they have to go to two parent-teacher conferences? Right. And I think, you know, the not, it's not good, of course, that they're over the last 40 to 50 years have been more divorces. But there is one good thing, I think, from that. And that's that when I was a kid, if people were children of divorced families, it was rare. And there was a little bit of or a lot of a stigma about it. Now, there are so many families that have gone through this process that not that it normalizes it, but it doesn't make children feel quite as odd man out, I don't think. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. In our situation, Grace was actually, because she was in first grade, she was the first of her friend group. She was the first person to do it. So it was a bit of an urge. We were early in the in the age group. But having said that, over the years, she did have other friends that went through it. And she saw other families and how things were being approached. And over dinner, she'd say to me, Mom, it doesn't have to be that hard. Join us next time for part two of the conversation between Camille Milner and Sarah Armstrong. And remember that collaborative divorce is a better way to untie the knot.